we call the series uh, So That You May Believe. And we saw the, the, the verse that really, uh, that we've been holding on to, which is John chapter 20, verse 31, which says, but these things were written so that you may believe that Christ that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And today, I want us to turn to John chapter 18. John 18 is a masterful narrative on how John brings this idea of Jesus being the Christ, the one who is supreme. And uh, that'll be a joy today. This scene opens where it's a garden scene and Judas comes with a band of soldiers and Jewish leaders. And as they come into the garden, Jesus steps forward and asks this question, whom do you seek? Who is it that you're looking for? And I want to say to us that all of us are seekers in some way. Knowing or unknowingly, we are always seeking because we want that, that satisfaction, that rest. We, we don't know what it is, maybe, but, but we are seeking. And so this is the big idea I want us to latch on to as we look at this chapter. The big idea is we will never be at rest till our seeking heart finds its satisfaction in Christ. We will never be at rest till our seeking heart finds its satisfaction in Christ. And as we go through this chapter, you will be confronted by some characters that John introduces us to. Uh, and and uh, we will see how they were seeking, but they were seeking something apart from Jesus and what happens as a result. And keeping that in mind, let's just turn to God's word and um, let's just pray and then turn to God's word. Father, we, we thank you. Thank you again for your presence here. We pray that you would speak to us, Lord, as we, as we look into your word. It's you, you alone. It's your spirit who has to uh, illumine this word for us. Help us, therefore, when we hear your word, not just to be hearers, but to be doers, and that we will be charged. We will be excited as we see the glories of Christ, in Jesus Christ, our Lord's name. Amen. Amen. So let's go through John chapter 18. I want you to turn. I want you to look at your Bibles or look at the screen if it's up there. Yes. Uh, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Two things I want you to notice here. One is the Brook Kidron. Brook Kidron is a, uh, it's a valley. It's a torrent bed. That means when there are heavy rains, water would gush through this, through this Kidron Valley. But most of the time, it is dry. When it doesn't rain, it's dry. And it's Temple Mount on one side and Mount of Olives on the other side. On the Temple Mount is a temple and the Gethsemane Garden is halfway up the Mount Olives. So it's about the same height. And the first time we read about River, uh, this Brook Kidron is David. David is running from Absalom. And the same picture where he is betrayed. David is betrayed by Absalom and he is fleeing and he crosses Kidron. And we see Jesus do that. But also we see the, the word that there was a garden. 
And this is a contrast. Where is the first time we read about the garden? In the Garden of Eden. The garden in Eden is where we read about this garden. That's the first mention. And there's this contrast. See what happens in that garden in Eden. Adam meets his enemy and he fails. And here you have the last Adam, Jesus Christ. He, is, he meets his enemy and he is um, he's victorious. So there is a garden right at the beginning. Garden here we're looking at. And the Bible ends. History will end in a garden, Revelation 21 and 22, as we see the city of God being mentioned as a garden, where the tree of life will give the fruit abundantly. There'll be this water of life, river of water of life flowing right through. And, and so this, this idea of garden is intrinsic to uh, what we have today. Uh, because of what happens in this garden and later, in that garden, there'll be no more death there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more curse. But I also want you to notice the third thing I said to you, but there's a third thing which I want you to notice is John does not introduce or does not tell us about the agony that Jesus goes through in the Garden of Eden. He just mentions the garden, garden. he doesn't even give a name, and he just goes straight on. He does not talk about how Christ agonized that his sweat was like the blood drops that fell. We had seen earlier that John does not in fact mention about any prayer in the book, in his book, in the Gospel of according to John. You might ask, what about John 17? Well, we saw that when we saw John 17, that the word used there is the word that he spoke, not that he prayed, as in he spoke to his equal. Right at the beginning, John wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you will have eternal life, that he is God incarnate. And that's verse 1. But let's look at verses 2 to 4. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? So Judas has now come with a band of soldiers. Now a band of soldiers is one-tenth of a, G a legion. A legion is 6,000, a band is 600. Now, uh, some Bible scholars would say, you really don't need 600 sol soldiers to come out to arrest one man. Maybe so. The example they give is that of a fire department. If you say there's a fire and the fire department came, you're not saying that every member in the fire department came, but then they were represented. Maybe, maybe not be, maybe 600 came. But the idea here is they took no chance. And Judas comes to a place where they knew Jesus meets with his people. What I like here is Jesus knowing all that is going to happen. So this question that he, Jesus asked, who do you seek, is not out of ignorance. It's not like, I don't know who you're seeking, tell me who it is. But he knows all things, and he says, who are you seeking? This reminds me again of what happened in the garden when Adam had sinned, when God came seeking. He says, Adam, where are you? It wasn't a question for information. It was an initiation. I want us to understand that we have a God who initiates when we run away from sin. 
He's the one who comes. And he says, whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? The all-knowing God who initiates a conversation. Verse 5, and they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. I am he is interesting. The word there is lego am I, which means literally he said I am. Jesus is saying, I am the great I am. The great I am. The one who in Genesis spoke the universe into existence. The one in Exodus, we read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, the one who said, I am the one who's sending you. He sends Moses to deliver his people from Egypt. He is the I am who Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6, who John connects in John chapter 12, saying that this glory that Isaiah saw of the I am is the glory of Christ. This is the I am that says, I am. 300 times we see God referring himself to I am. John, we saw seven I am's of Jesus Christ to indicate that this is the great I am. The one who told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 verse 1, I am your shield and great reward. This I am. And then you get to Revelation. We read in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, I am the root and the branch of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus is saying, I am the root and the branch of David. You see, root meaning out of, out of me came David, speaking about his deity. And then he says, I'm the branch that in my incarnation, in my humanity, I came out of David. I'm the root and branch of David, the bright and morning star. This too spans for us who this Christ is. The one who Jews feared. They would never take the name of Jehovah in their lips. They feared the name of God. That one is now saying, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know if you caught that, but understand this. Nazareth is a place where they said, can any good come out of that? And Jesus is saying, I am that Jesus of Nazareth, the one who humbled himself, this great I am who in his incarnation came down as a little babe would be in Nazareth of all the places. And this is not just... Uh, that's not where he stops. He humbles himself further to death, and death where? On a, on a cross. We read that in Philippians chapter 2. This great I am. Come down to say, I am. I am the one. But here we meet this contrasting character called Judas. I want us to pause and just ask this question about Judas. You see, what, what is Judas seeking? Judas is selfish in whatever he's seeking. He is self-centered, he's self-absorbed. It is about, about him. John in chapter 12 calls Judas a thief. In chapter 12, this is what's happening. Lazarus has been raised from the dead and they're having a meal. And at that time, Mary comes, breaks this, expensive bottle of 
perfume at the feet of Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair. And Judas is standing there and says, what a waste. Now, before you get to judge, I want to ask you this. Let's just imagine with me, okay? Imagine that you have this collector's item of Chanel 5. I can't think of any other perfume, but Chanel 5. 450 ml, which is like one pound. And uh, you bought it for $20,000, which is equivalent of the 300 denarii, which is an, you know, a minimum wage for the year. $20,000. And your son or your daughter breaks the bottle and puts it at your feet. What's your reaction going to be? Oh, my son, my daughter, I love you. Or like, what a waste. You need a pause. And Jesus is saying what made it dead, the extravagance of our worship is worth it because he is. But Judas is counting the cost. He is counting the cost because in John chapter 12, verse 6, he says, he, he, he said he, should, he could have sold his money and given to the poor. And, and he, it's not because he wanted to give money to the poor, 12, 6 says. It's because he would put his money into the, in, his hand into the money bag. Imagine being with Jesus and the disciples and being made the treasure, being, having the money bag, and he dared to steal out of that. The selfish, selfish one. The I am that he was more interested was the selfish I am. The trinity that he really mattered to him was his Selfish trinity, I, me, myself. It didn't matter that it was Jesus. But we got to ask ourselves, how often have we been selfish in the light of what God calls us to? We might say, I'm not very selfish. I mean, that the way we can ask ourselves if we are selfish or not is ask yourself some questions. Questions like, were you inconvenient? Are you inconvenienced? How do you respond when you're inconvenienced? How do you act out when you are denied? When somebody, you know, doesn't give you what you want, how do you respond? Do you, do you just gravitate to just getting your way? Maybe. The question we got to ask is who or what are you seeking? And that's a good question thing for us to pause and ask because if we're not seeking the right one, this I-centeredness can end up betraying the true I am. The I in me will betray the true I am. Uh, two reminders about, about uh, Judas here is in verse 5. It says there, and uh, Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. The company that this betrayer keeps is with them. John is very particular to bring that out. And John also does not mention that Judas actually kisses in betrayal. Uh, Jesus is not, you know, that narrative is not mentioned here. That's interesting to note because at that time, a subordinate would kiss the hand of his master. A slave would kiss the feet of her master. 
But the one who gets kissed on the cheek lovingly and affectionate is the one who is equal. And John will not give the privilege to Judas to say that you are not equal to this great I am. I want you to know that this Jesus stands apart. He is the majestic one. He has hum humbled himself, but is in no way your equal. He creates a clear distinction. Earlier in chapter 17, verse uh, 12, Jesus had said that Judas is the son of perdition, the son of destruction. When you get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, this is what we read. The same name is given to the Antichrist. We got to be careful. Who we seek systematically and regularly could probably betray who we really are. But let me go down to verses 6 to verses 9, till chapter, six, chapter 18, verses 6 to 9. When Jesus said to him, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you, I'm he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. You see, it says there, when he said, it is me, they drew back and they fell. It's written in plural. It's not just Judas who fell. It's not just one person who fell. It's them who fell. Maybe the entire band. They, they fell down. We don't know what happened. We don't want a conjuncture. We don't want to, you know, suggest what happened. But um, earlier on in John chapter uh, 8, when Jesus had said uh, that he is the I am, they in fact picked up stones to throw at him. And so we really don't know what happened here, but one thing we know that Jesus is in command. He is not the victim. He is not being taken away against his will. He is not the one who has been bound against his wishes. He is in command, and that sovereign one says, I am, I am he. But notice also there it says, let these men go. Verse 9, let these men go. If you seek me, see that word again coming up? If you seek me, let these men go. But their seeking of Jesus was the unlawful, the wrong way. But if you seek me, let these men go. And it's beautiful to pause there to ask because what has happened is that same phrase, that same uh, verse that says, um, in verse 9, which says, uh, this was to fulfill the word that was spoken of these who you gave me, I lost none. In chapter 17, it's mentioned as one for spiritual reason, that I have not lost anybody except the son of perdition. That spoke about the spiritual, that spoke about life, eternal life, but here it is temporal. It's about the physical. And Jesus brings both 17 and 18 together under, that, under the umbrella of that verse, saying that he alone is the one who can guarantee your eternal life, and he is also the one who preserves you in this life. He says, I have lost none, so let them go. His care, both in the spiritual and in the physical. Verses 10 and 11. And then Simon Peter Having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. 
So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? I, I don't know if you noticed, but they just had two swords, and Peter had to have one of that. He was like the natural leader. So he's got the sword, and he strikes the high priest servant with it. Peter is the one who acts in his flesh. Judas, the one who acts selfishly. But Peter, the one who acts in his flesh. He, his intent is good. He wants to do the right thing, but he acts out of flesh. One of the things that we constantly say, even ministry, even things that you do for God, when you do it on your own strength, it seems like you might have initial success because, you know, you got this leadership ability or you got the skills or whatever it is, but things done in the flesh will always come, um, will always fail. And that's what we see in Peter. Peter is self-driven. He runs in his own steam. Well, we got to pause and ask ourselves the same thing. How often do we do things in our own flesh? We want to do the right thing, but we do it driven by the flesh. And being driven by the flesh as opposed to being led by the spirit, being driven by the flesh is easy because it does not involve you crucifying your flesh. It is something that comes to you naturally. But to be led by the Spirit me means that you have to crucify your flesh. You have to say, deny yourself. You have to say no to yourself. And that is difficult, but that's the only road to success. That's the only way we can have Christ-likeness. Everything else would be impulsive. And when we are driven by the flesh, it won't be long before we deny Christ. We were seeking self-prominence or whatever it be, but if you're not seeking the right thing, we'll end up denying Christ. There's something about the flesh that wants to be the hero. Peter was always up there, wasn't he? Always right there to try and do things. And, but as you read Peter in episodes, he still has the fire and the passion, but we see him as one who's led in the spirit, to say no to the flesh and to be led by the spirit. And so we are thankful to, to the way uh, Peter's life turned out, but the question here we have to ask is who do we seek, self-glory or the Savior's glory? Is it us or is it Christ that we seek to glorify? Let me just summarize verses 12 to 27. Here, Jesus is being taken to the chief priest, and there's a mock trial being kept. It's a mock trial because uh, the, the judgment has already passed, and the uh, accusations are already false, are all false and trumped up. And so in the midst there, you see another contrasting character. We see the religious leaders, the righteous one, the self-righteous. You have the selfish, you have the self-absorbed, uh, which is Judas. Then you have Peter, who is self-driven. And here you have the priest, who are self-righteous. So the thing with self-righteousness is an attitude that 
you know, it's a morality issue. This is not about religion per se. It's about when my first thought is that what I'm doing is right and someone else is wrong. I'm the standard. I know what to do, uh, how to do, and I find accusation. I find things wrong with others. That's a good indication talk, to talk about self-righteousness. The self-righteous would have a checklist. I do these things. That's the reason why I'm righteous. And as a Christian, we know, we've already said there's no righteousness in us apart from Christ. Our righteousness is Christ alone. And when we stand to say that we have some righteousness and judge, and, and judge others, we are denying the Christ himself who is our righteousness. And we see that happening with these, with these priests. They try to find uh, the accuse, but they're unable to, to pin anything on him. And so we see in Judah's selfishness, we see in Peter wanting to be the savior, wanting to be the hero, and here we see them wanting to be the standard. And so they reject Christ uh, We'll turn to verses 28 and 29. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could, could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Later you will see Pilate saying that they, he finds no guilt in him. They've actually handed him over to Pilate because they know the only death they want Jesus to have is the death by crucifixion. They would not want such death for a Jew. But in this rejection, they want to, want to say that he who came to his own, who's, who received him not, was saying he's not, even, he's not just one of us, he's not even one of us, he's not even a Jew. We want him crucified. And so they bring him before Pilate. So we, here we see the, the, the fourth contrasting character, Pilate. And what he seeks is self-preservation. He wants a safe zone. He doesn't want to upset the apple cart, as it were. He, he, you know, it, truth doesn't matter. As you read down, um, I would like you to go back and read the whole thing. The, the most important of this verse, let me read to you in verse 37. Uh, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And having said this, he walks away. Jesus says, my reason for incarnation is to attest to the truth. The way, the truth, and the life. The one who is truth himself is saying, I want to tell you what is true. Pilate, you need to understand. But Pilate 
uh, says what is truth, rejects and walks away. He, um, we, we, we see in Matthew, actually, where we see that he's more fearful of not having a right. We read about it in Matthew chapter 27 and, and uh, 20. There we read also his wife begging him not to do anything with this righteous man. And he ends, we end that passage there as, as he washes his hands, as if by washing his hands he can absolve responsibility. He wants to, he wants self-preservation at the cost of truth. He wasn't willing to pay the cost for truth, for this truth who's come down, who has paid the ultimate cost by dying on the cross. And so in the Bible, we read in Acts chapter 2, 23, Pilate is called the wicked and the lawless. And in trying to keep peace, he loses peace with God. What do we seek? Like Pilate, do we seek what is convenient, what is comfortable? Do we lack courage? Do we reject truth? And in rejecting truth, we always embrace lie. It's, it's, it has to be either the truth or the lie. And see how 39 and 40 end. 39 verse 39. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover so that so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. You see, the mob energized by the chief priest asks for Barabbas. The meaning of Barabbas is son of a father. Bar means son, Abbas is father, son of a father. So we have this contrast here. You have Barabbas, who's the son of the father, and you have Jesus, who's the son of the father. And the two choices, who they seek, and this crowd chooses the wrong son of a father. You see, the Bible calls Barabbas, in verse 40, murder, robber, in Mark and in Luke, he is called the murderer and the insurrectionist. In Matthew, he is called the notorious one. And Jesus had previously contrasted two. In John chapter 10 and 10, it says, Thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and that you might have life abundantly. Thief comes to destroy. I've come to give you life. Here you have a choice. And unfortunately what happens, or sadly what happens, is they end up with the wrong son of the father. We've got to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, who do we seek? We might give a mental assent. We might give a mental assent as to who we seek, but seek in your heart through your choices that you make, through the decisions, through the, through the conversations that you have in your head about who is it that you really seek. What is it? Is it your own self? Is it your own self-preservation that you want? Is there, is there this, this self-promotion, the need for self-promotion? Or is it just self-righteousness, self-righteousness that says, I'm okay, I've reached a level, now I can tell people what they need to do, that is not what Christ, being Christ-like is all about. Because Christ says, I've come not to be served, but to serve. Indicating one who comes in, 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 the, in, in the foot 
steps of this one who is the son of the father, of, of, of the heavenly father, that our actions will not be selfish or self-driven, but it'll be other-looking, other outside-looking. It'll be serving. It'll, be, it'll look out for the others. And that's what we read in the rest of the New Testament. And that's one way of knowing who is it that we really, really serve, who is it that we really seek. The chapter has a sad ending. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, we've said we don't want to lose anybody here. We want all of us around the throne of, of God as we come around uh, one day. I hope that our choice is not Barabbas in the way we live our life, but as Jesus Christ, the one who we seek. Jesus who steps up and says, whom do you seek? Asks the same question today. Whom do you seek? Would you rise up with me as I pray for us and that God would lead us to, to honestly seek Christ alone, that he alone would be the one who we seek and that we don't end up with a Barabbas, but with Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the great I am, who is incarnate. Father, we, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that he came seeking. He came serving. There's so much of his life that tells us who and what and how we ought to live. Help us, Lord, not to be deceived. We are aware self-righteousness is a deception. Selfishness is a deception. We always do not think we are the problem. We think the others are the problem. And you're teaching us, Lord, that that is the face of a self-driven, self-righteous, and self-preserving attitude that we have and we pray oh God that in, our, in the seeking that we do that we will seek Jesus Christ alone that our life would be like Jesus would be like the one uh, like your son that we will be changed from glory to glory and that one day we can say that we have been conformed to the image of his son we ask for nothing less oh we pray oh God that even as we go out Help us, Lord, to be driven by this thought, by this attitude that was in Christ alone, that would be ours. And that together we will be a company of people who love you, who seek you, who will, who will who's, who would be willing to pay whatever cost it takes to follow you. We thank you. Thank you for all that you've been to us, for the spirit that you've given us, as the song that we sang, thank you that you died on the cross and you left your spirit to continue the work in our hearts. And so be it, Father, we pray for this week. We pray for all of us here, Lord, and, and for all the struggles and all those things that they go through. We know that you are, the, you are the one, as we seek you, you will fulfill it for us, and you will give us the satisfaction. You will give us the rest. You will Give us, Lord, uh, what will bring you glory because you're the sovereign one and so be sovereign in our lives. Uh, this we ask in the name and thank, and we are thankful for it will be answered for we come in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. May the goodness and the, the, uh, 
the, the goodness of our uh, Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the and the presence of our uh, the Holy Spirit, and the uh, and the greatness of our Father, who who we have come to know through His Son, be with us today and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.